We get the privilege of hearing from our founding pastor, Pastor Dave Diani, today. He's going to preach the word for us here today. So please give him a warm welcome, Pastor Dave. through this without getting, you know, a little teary-eyed, but uh, gosh. Yeah, so 50 years ago today, on a Sunday, first Sunday of August, August 5th or 6th, whatever it was, I was in San Francisco, and I, I, uh, my life was completely transformed when I prayed the simple, what we refer to as the sinner's prayer. I I uh, asked Jesus into my life, and that one prayer, that one prayer has affected everything that I have done for the last 50 years of my life, where I live, my career, uh, job, uh, people I hang out with, who I married, how I raised my kids, how I've used my money, everything I've ever done is, was affected by something I did 50 years ago today. So I, I just want to share the story with you and share the Bible verse that literally changed my life, became a founding, my founding, uh, like a foundation of my faith. But it started 50 years ago. So uh, I, I, um, I grew up in a very, what I would refer to, religious family. Uh, my mom and dad raised us in a, a devout Catholic way. And uh, we, we lived right outside of New York City and I had, uh, in my estimation of my mom and dad, great people. Uh, you know, we were talking to my sister the other night and just thinking about, uh, I never heard my dad swear one time, never saw him smoking, never saw him drunk. And then we were just reminded the other day talking, I never even heard my dad or mom ever say a mean thing about another person in my entire life. I mean, these were, these were some good people that I, I had the privilege of calling mom and dad. And then I, I had 11 brothers and sisters. Now, they, I heard them say things that they probably shouldn't have said. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but 11 brothers and sisters. So um, we, we grew up Catholics. I'm going to clip this here. And um, my dad... This is absolutely crazy when I think about this. My dad, after dinner, every night, from when I remember, like from birth till the day I left home, every night, after dinner, he would get all the kids, we would kneel down in the living room, and we would pray the Catholic rosary. Every night of my life, I prayed that. Now, I know, I know you know, Catholicism and the rosary, it's idolatry. I, I believe it's idolatry. But, but it instilled in me this kind of reverence for God. I mean... We, we were religious people. We, um, I, I'm pretty sure I was in church every day of my, every Sunday of my life. Really, I, I think I only missed Sunday once or twice in my entire life up until COVID. That kind of wrecked my record, you know. <laughs> we, we went online then. But, but my dad made sure we were in church every Sunday. And, and, and to this day, I, I just caught that and, 
you know, even when I was raising my children, Roxanne and I, if we'd go on vacation, we, we went and found a church. I, I didn't even care what church it was. It's like, well, we're on vacation on Sunday. You go to church. That's what you do. And I, 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 I thank my father and my mother for that. We, um, we were, I was sent to a Catholic school from kindergarten through eighth grade and uh, taught by the nuns. And uh, what they had at the Catholic school I went to every uh, Monday through Friday, every day we had to go to church first before we went to school, every single day of my school year, and that's nine years of church. So I have been in church a lot in my life. And I'll tell you one thing, if you've ever been into a Catholic church, they have lots of statues, you know? <laughs> and uh, we, uh, you know, so I was taught by the Catholics that, that these statues are like miraculous and sometimes they come alive for a, just for a second, and, and if you're a good person, they might look at you and wink or smile or something, you know? And so, so here I'm in, church, I'm in church, Monday through Friday, nine years, I'm in church every Sunday. You have no idea how many times I looked at that statue, I prayed to those statues, just looking, would you just please wink at me one time? It's like you almost became a saint if they winked at you, you know? But, but it was just, it, it, my upbringing, you know, here's the thing, I... I knew a lot about God from birth right up until 50 years ago. I knew a lot about God. I, I, I knew the Christian doctrines. I knew heaven. I knew hell. I knew Jesus died on the cross. I knew Easter. Uh, I knew this stuff. But here's the deal. I did not have a relationship with God. I, I just didn't. And, and as a child, I, I, there was always this kind of hunger for God. I, always just, I just felt like there was more... And, and so as a Catholic boy, I, would, I was an altar boy. I would ask the priest after church sometimes, you know, what, what is it about God? How can I get to know God better? I would ask him these questions. And, and all I ever remember them telling me was, well, just say your prayers. And uh, you know what, Dave? Maybe you're called to be a priest. And it'd be like, eh, I don't think so. But I was, I was hungry for something. I remember one time I asked my mom, I said, I, some kind of card or something I saw it said if you want you can have a Catholic priest come to your house and talk to you <laughs> I said to my mom can you have one of those priests come to our house talk to me and she did and the day the day he was going to show up I skipped out of the house I, I freaked out man I was like I was thinking oh man I know he's going to make me be a priest I just know he is you know <laughs> but I was hungry I was hungry for something and so so by the time I graduated high school I, I man I'm telling you I was lost I just was lost it, uh, I the best way I could describe it is, is I had that hole in my heart and I couldn't fill it with everything I tried. I just couldn't fill it. And when I graduated, I graduated during the Vietnam War and so at that time we all got draft numbers. And uh, you got your draft number and then if it was a low number, they would tell you, you're probably going to Vietnam. And my number was pretty low. It was just barely over 100 and they usually said you, if you had anything under 150, you're going to Vietnam, and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to go to Vietnam, and so they said, but there's some options, and one of the options was, if you went to college, you didn't have to go to Vietnam, so it's like, I'm going to college, man, <laughs> so I went to college my first year, and, and I, I didn't know what the heck I was doing, but I didn't care, because I wasn't going to the war, but the problem was, I, I finished my first year, and I am telling you, I'm lost, man, I'm just, I'm looking, and at that time in our country, there was such upheaval. The young people in America, it was just massive upheaval. 
massive demonstrations about the war and all kinds of stuff like that and, and lots of young people on the road hitchhiking. And so I talked to my one friend. I said, hey, we got the summer off. Let's go hitchhike around the country. And he goes, okay, how much money do you have? I go, I think I got $35. He had $25. We said, we got enough. Let's go. <laughs> and so uh, we, we live right next to New York City. We got on uh, the uh, Route 80, but on the ramp there. And, and again, there were so many people hitchhiking, you literally had to wait on line. There'd be six or eight or 10 or 15 people on the ramps, all long-haired hippies with backpacks, you know, hitchhiking all over the country. And so we got online, got our turn, put our thumbs out, and we started hitchhiking all over the country and just having a good old time. But I'm looking, I'm looking. I don't know what I'm looking for, but I'm looking. And so we end up in California. We're in San Francisco. And I mean, we're broke. Uh, we got no money. And so we go to this area called the Haight-Ashbury District. And the Haight-Ashbury District in San Francisco at that time was the mecca for all the hippies. You know, that's where you went. And I mean, it was just flower children and, you know, it was hippieville. And so we go there, and so what you did is when you were hitchhiking around the country in all these cities, there were places where all the hippies went, and you would go, and they would have these uh, crash pad locators for you, and you'd go there and say, hey, is there any crash pads we can sleep tonight? And so the one guy's looking it up. He goes, yeah. He says, uh, there's, everybody's full up tonight, but there's this one place. He goes, oh, man, it's a Jesus house. He goes, you, you don't really want to go there. And we, I said, well, can we sleep there? He goes, yeah. Do they feed you? Yeah. Give us the address, man. We'll go. He goes, if they're Jesus freaks. He says, you, you might want to rethink that. And I talked to my friend. He goes, we got it. We're hungry. We need a place to stay. We're in the city. So we go there. And uh, we spend the first night there. And then we spend the second night there. And one of the guys, his name is Scott, he says to me, you know, can I talk to you about God? And I'm thinking, oh, man, okay. And he opens the Bible and he reads to me this Bible verse. If you have your Bible or your phone, you might want to look it up, but it's in Revelations chapter 3. And it's Jesus talking, and it's verse 20. Jesus says, chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. He looks at me and he says, Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart right now. And I'm telling you, I, I, feel, I feel it, man. He's like knocking at my heart. I start shaking. I'm so scared. I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? And he said, Jesus, Jesus wants to come into your life. And, and I'm thinking to myself, man, I, I, I messed up, man. I knew I was messed up. I, I knew I was living the life of a hypocrite. You know, whenever... Whenever people talk about, well, you know, you tell them about going to church, and, well, I don't go to church because it's full of hypocrites. I go, well, yeah, I know that because I was one of them. I was the ultimate hypocrite. I was in church every Sunday, but usually by Sunday afternoon, by Monday, Monday through Saturday, I was living the life of a sinner. I mean, I was messed up with drugs, alcohol, immorality, meanness, just messed up, yet I'm in church. And, and, and the guy's talking to me, and he's going... Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. And I, I, I swear, I hear him knocking at my heart. And I'm going, man, I'm in trouble. I'm, I knew I was in trouble, man. I, I'm thinking in my mind, I, I, what am I going to do if I stand before God? I, I'm, I got no excuse. So he goes, uh, you want to open the door of your heart? And I go, 
man, buddy, hold on. I, I, I got to think about this. And so I run out of the house, and my friend is out front, and they're drinking and smoking and stuff. And I say to him, hey, man, they're talking to me inside about Jesus, you know, and they, they want me to pray. And he goes, oh, man, no, you know, wine, smoke some dope, and, you know, they're jerks. And I'm, all of a sudden, man, like, no, this is what I need. So I go back inside, and, and 50 years ago today, I prayed that prayer and asked Jesus into my life. And, and, and I remember the prayer to this day. I was sharing with some people this morning. When I bowed my head, best way I could describe it is like those movies where they talk about the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder, you know, and I'm, I'm bowing my head and, and I'm hearing the devil go, you better not do this, man. You better not do this. And I'm hearing the other voice go, this is what you've been looking for. You know, back and forth, and my head's bowed, and I'm sweating, and they're sitting, you know, it was the one guy and a couple of them, I go, I'm going to pray, and I pray, ask Jesus into my heart, man, I'm telling you, I got saved, I got saved, man, I got saved, it worked, it worked, I got, he came into my life, you know, <laughs> really, I, I run outside to my friend, go, man, I, I just got saved, and he goes, what, I go, I'm, I got Jesus. He goes, oh, he cusses and says, you're a stinking Jesus freak now, you know. <laughs> I go, yeah, I, I guess, you know, and, and I, 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 yeah, I'm going to be a Jesus freak, I guess. That's what they called us back then. And, you know, the very next day, I stayed that night, and the next day, my friend said, I'm out of here. He hitchhiked back, and I said, I'm staying. And they said, well, we're going out witnessing today. You want to go with us? The next day. I go, well, sure. Uh, what do I say? They say, well, just tell them what happened. So the next day, I'm out witnessing on the street, and I'm just telling people, you need Jesus, man. You need Jesus. You know, read this Bible verse. And I think that kind of got me hooked. I, I, I think I've kind of been doing that for 50 years, telling people the same thing. You need Jesus. You need Jesus, you know. And uh, it, 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 this, this house was called Shiloh House. And the Shiloh House was part of a Christian communal ministry radical Christian communal ministry. Lots of young people living together in this house. And they said, you want to you wanna join up with us? And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll join, man. And, and uh, you know, if, if any of you have not seen the Jesus Revolution yet, you, you really, you really want to go see that because uh, it, it, it's accurate and it was my life. That's, that's my life. I know some of those people in that movie. Uh, it was radical stuff happening Throughout our country, thousands and thousands of young people being saved uh, all over the country, uh, literally hundreds of thousands. And, and so this ministry, it was a communal ministry, so like, like literally communal, like we didn't own anything, everything was communal. So your clothes, you go get your clothes out of a communal thing, and we did have our own toothbrush, though, you know, that was kind of nice, but <laughs> we... Uh, we would, every night, we would put up other hitchhikers, and so I was in one of the houses in San Francisco, it was a huge house, so we'd put up low-end 20 or 30 hitchhikers a night, sometimes 50 hitchhikers a night, we'd feed them a meal, every night we had like a Bible study, and then every night we talked to them about God, and every night, pretty much every night, somebody would get saved, it was just absolutely amazing time, just amazing things that we saw, but we had to, you know, we had to pay our bills, so uh, what we did was we tried to get jobs, we worked as a group, commu you know, a communal work kind of stuff, and so while I was in San Francisco, 
<laughs> the job I got was a bike messenger. And uh, we, we rode around town delivering packages. The, I think we got the one picture. Yeah, so, so the, that box was the bike I rode. It was a three-wheeler, and they'd put packages, and I delivered them all over the city. But, but we took all of our money, and it was communal, so it would be in the middle, a pot, and then we paid the rent, we paid the food. The rest of it got sent up to the headquarters where they paid for a Bible school that they were building and it was going to be available to all of us. And then also was used to open up more houses. So at that time, there was about 40, a little more than 40 Shiloh communes all over the country. And we weren't the only one. There were literally hundreds of other youth communes opening up all over the country. Just, again, thousands and thousands of people. But it was, a, it was truly a, a radical time, and uh, I think I was saved maybe a month, maybe two months, and at that time, if you were saved that long and you were still in the house and you're still a Christian, you were called a mature Christian, so I was asked to give my first Bible study at one month a Christian, which was so awesome. Should have been recorded, you know. It was, it was deep theology, like, like I would read the verse and then you go, wow, man, that's cool. You know, this, this far out, man, whoa, dig this, man, dig this verse, you know, <laughs> that was our theology back then, but, but you know, we were, we were committed and, and we believed the Bible was the word of God, but I mean, I may, you know, I'm sure it's just part of my personality, but I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I'm all in or I'm not in at all, that's just me, man, and I, I just... I go 110%, you know, get, get out of my way sometimes. Sometimes probably not the best, but, but I, I decide I'm joining this thing. And so I, I quit college, you know, uh, and then I start, I start sending letters to, to all my family, my mom and dad and my brothers and sisters. And in the letters, I'm telling them, you need to get saved, man. You need Jesus in your life. You know, Catholicism's not the way. You need Jesus. Read the Bible. And I mean, I'm just, just my friends, I'm sending everybody letters. And they're all going, oh boy, Dave kind of crossed over, you know. He, but bless God, my older brother Henry and my sister Elizabeth, they came out to kind of help me and find out if I was in some cult, you know. Kind of was cultic. You know, but, but uh, you know, they, they let me stay. Henry didn't make me leave, and Elizabeth said it might, might be okay what he's doing. But, you know, here's the cool thing. God is able to work through even our craziness. And you know how it is when, many of you know this, when you first get saved, there's this zeal. You just have this zeal. You want, you want to tell your friends. You want to tell everybody. And sometimes you just overboard, you know, and then I'm just hammering my friends and hammer in my family, but God, through his grace and his mercy, you know, eventually saves my entire family. My mom and dad get saved. My brothers and sisters get saved. Several of them actually joined that youth ministry with me. And uh, man, I, I'm telling you, I, I have, that part of my life, I've been so blessed. I mean, my, my siblings, my brothers and sisters, their spouses, uh, my nieces and nephews, my wife, my children, my mom and dad, uh, they have been, you, you guys have just been, you know, the backbone of, of my life. And so I just want to say thanks, you know, you guys. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know a number of you are here today. Would you just do me a favor? All my siblings, their spouses, my children, your spouses, 
nieces, nephews, grandchildren, you just stand for a minute. I just want to, I just want to say thank you. you. You have been so important to me, man, so important to me. I say, I say 50 years, but truly, truly it would never have been what it was without all of you. So I love all of you and I thank you. So thanks for being here this morning. Really, really good. I'd love to list off a number of you who've been with us for a long, long time, but I think if I start doing that, I'm going to feel like I leave somebody out. But can I just say thank you? Some of you have been with me for a long, long time. A long, long time. I mean, I, I just got to say, Mike, Mike Clark, would you just stand up for a minute? Mike. I mean, Mike and I have been together almost 50 years. I, I met him that first year I got saved. And I mean, the first time I saw him, he got up and played his guitar. And I thought, oh my gosh, he's a rock star right there, you know. <laughs> but I mean, Mike, thanks, man. We, we've been buds for years. And it's been a great run. It really has. So, And, and the rest of you, you know, you've been here. and Anyway. Yeah. So, so I, uh, after I was in the shallow house for a year, I had the opportunity to go up north to Eugene where the headquarters was, and uh, I was able to go to Bible school there, and man, I was so blessed. I, I, I tell you, our Bible school was, was the kind of Bible school I would expect a Bible school to be. I mean, I'm going to use a cool 60s term, dig this. <laughs> I don't think I've said that <laughs> <laughs> dig this man all we did was study the bible the entire time like we didn't study hebrew we didn't study greek we didn't read other books about the bible all we did at our bible school is study genesis to revelations and man that was a great bible school and it really it really launched me into ministry gave me the confidence that i knew scripture after bible school i was invited to be part of a traveling evangelist team and so what we had to do was, they said, well, you guys got to work together for a few months, save up your money, and then we're going to send you out, and you're going to go visit all these other Shiloh houses. You're going to help them you know, reach out to their other youth that are moving through and do different things like that. And so our, our jobs, we did a lot of work up in Oregon. We worked up in the mountains, and we did a lot of uh, tree planting and tree cultivating and tree thinning and this kind of stuff. Crazy hard work. But, but we would save up our money, and then we would travel. And so we traveled to, like, all these cities for... We did this for, like, three years. And, and, you know, the really cool thing about that, there was this young lady on that team who was, like, really cool. And I just, like, noticed her, you know, just sort of noticed her and thought, man, she's pretty cool. It was Roxana. And so... Uh, you know, I kind of wanted to start dating her, but in the Shiloh ministry, since we were all living communally, all of us in the same house, there were all kinds of rules, what you could do, what you couldn't do. And so you, if you were dating in the Shiloh ministry, you couldn't date like boy, girl, unless you had chaperones to come and just stay with you when you went out on a date. And it was really great. I mean, some people really balked at that, but I thought it was great. It just kept us and our relationship pure. And, and, uh, and for that, I've been grateful. You know, we stayed pure until we got married. But 
what, while we were on the team, we did all sorts of outreaches. We would pass out tracts. We'd go on the street and just pass out tracts to people, tell them you need Jesus. Then we started doing uh, uh, skits, you know, all kinds of different skits in the parks. And then we started doing puppet shows. And then I got this idea, I'm going to start doing pantomime. And so I started doing these <laughs> pantomimes. And, and uh, oh man, it was just so fun. We would do this like every weekend we'd be in the parks just reaching. You know, we would do the show like sometimes a puppet show five times in a day or I'd do this mime skit four or five times in a day. And every time we did it, there'd be like 100, 200 people gathering. We'd do the skit, do the, the puppet show, and then we'd get up and preach to the people, ask them if they want to get saved, raise their hand. And like all the time, people were getting saved. I mean, it was just crazy. And then we would talk to them and invite them into the house. But, but we did this for three years. And then uh, Roxanne and I decided to get married. And so in Shiloh, at that time, if you got married, you couldn't live in the communal houses anymore, so you had to move out. But there were like Shiloh churches starting because people were getting married. So we joined the Shiloh church in Eugene, and we stayed there. And then, then we talked to one of the, the, the pastor of the ministry, and he asked us if we'd like to move to Columbus and start a church here. And so back in 1978, January 1978, I was a full 23 years old. And Roxanne and I moved here to start this church. So, and of course, we knew everything back then. I mean, we knew everything. You know, we had it all figured out. But lo and behold, we didn't know what the heck we were doing because we were hippies and doing anything about a church. But God, in His grace and mercy, helped us build the church. And it's been a great run. But I just want to take some time. I'll finish up. But uh, I want to talk just a little bit about this verse, why it's so meaningful to me when I think of Revelations chapter 3.20, it, it, it just, it became my life verse, and I've used it literally thousands of times, witnessing to people, telling them Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart. But, but what, why it's so special to me is because in this passage, he, it says he's knocking at the door of a church. He's knocking at the door of a church. So, so, like, if you read the whole chapter, he's talking to churches, and, and, you know, that's just shocking. Why are you knocking at the door of the church? Why are you outside, Jesus? And the reason he was outside is because these people were just religious people who didn't have Jesus in their hearts. And when I read this, I think, I know, I know this because that's who I was. I, I was religious. I believed in God. I never, I never denied my faith. I never said I don't believe in God. I, I believed in Jesus Christ. But, but I was this person. Like maybe some of you here today, maybe you're religious, you believe in God, you know, you, you know God exists, fine. But he's knocking at the door of a church. And you know what, to be honest with you, I think, I, I think religious people are in a worse position than total heathens. Truly. A person who rejects God and runs away from God and goes down the path of darkness, this person knows they're not right with God. They know that. A religious person thinks they're so good, they think they're going to get to heaven because they're so good. It's like they're the hardest people to reach. And here's Jesus knocking at the door. Can I please come in? You know what? There's still churches today. Jesus is knocking at the door. Sad to say. A lot of religious churches and a lot of religious people knocking at the door. Please, can I come in? Second thing I just want to say why I just love this passage. I'm just glad when he says, I knock at the door, and he says, 
If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. I'm so glad he didn't say, if you open the door and pray more, I'll hang out with you. I, honestly, I'm glad he didn't say that. Sometimes I cringe when I hear people talking about, you need to pray, you need to pray, you need to pray. I understand the need to pray, but I think prayer sometimes is just too religious. At least my understanding, I grew up in the Catholic Church. My prayers were totally memorized. I talked to God. I said these prayers. But that isn't what he's saying there. He's saying, listen, if you hear my voice, I want to come in and hang out with you. And it's casual. Let's have a bite to eat. I mean, think about it. Sitting down with Jesus at the table going, man, you want something to eat, Jesus? How you doing? What's going on? This is... This is, this is the kind of relationship God wants. He doesn't want some formal, you know, King James wording when you're talking to him and just being weird. He's talking about a real, living, two-way, talk-and-listen relationship. And this is, what, this is what I want. This is what I have. This is what he's offering. There, there's, there's such a difference between talking to a person or talking about a person and, and knowing the person. You know, that is the difference between religion and a relationship. Like, like, I can talk to you about the president. He's in the news every day. I know lots about him. Or I think I do anyway. I don't know him. If he's walking down the street, he's not going to say hi to me. I don't know him, but I know a lot about him. Well, there's a lot of people that know a lot about God. But that's not what this is about. This is about knowing him relationship, friendship. But, but I do want to say the best part I like about this, the best part I like about this, and it's probably because of my upbringing, but this knocking at the door is for the average person. This is for everybody. In other words, when he says, behold, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you hear my voice, I'll come in. He didn't say you have to be a special person. He didn't say you have to be really holy. He didn't say you have to have your trip together. He didn't say you need to know everything. He just said, if you just hear my voice, if you, hear, if you feel that knock, he goes, let me come in. It's for the average person. This isn't what we're talking about here. is isn't for the saints. is isn't for the holy ones. And, and like growing up as a Catholic, I... I I had this understanding of people who knew God, and my understanding of people who were close to God was that they were special people. They were the saints. I prayed to them. I prayed to St. Anthony, St. Francis, St. Saint Thomas, and St. Joseph. I had prayers, memorized. I, I, I wore their medals. You know, <laughs> I had their medals. I was very religious. But, but this passage is about knocking at the door of your heart. You don't have to be a saint. And, and uh, when I was like in fifth grade, I was in some book club at the school and I somehow or other got hooked into reading a whole collection of uh, books about saints, about saints who got martyred for their faith. I actually, in that year, I read 50 books about saints and uh, it just affected me. They weren't that thick. They were, you know, small, but they were just stories about people who gave their lives for God. And I remember reading them thinking, man. Whoa, be cool to be a saint. <laughs> you know? And I said, Yeah, you're not going to make it, Dave. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to make it. But here's the crazy thing 
I get saved, and they tell me, well, you know, you need to start reading the Bible. And I've never read the Bible in my life. So I start reading the Bible, and I'm reading in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are the four Gospels. I read them once. I read them twice. I read them three times. I mean, I'm reading, and it's like, whoa, this is the life of Jesus. And then I think, okay, I'm going to read the rest of the New Testament. So I read the book of Acts. Then I start reading the letters that Paul writes to the churches, Romans, Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And all of a sudden, something jumps out at me. I start realizing, wait a minute. When Paul writes these letters, he introduces each letter with to the saints. Like in the book of Romans, it says to the saints in Rome. 1 Corinthians, to the saints in Corinth. 2 Corinthians, to the saints in Corinth. Galatians, to the saints in Galatians, to the saints in Ephesus, to the saints. And I'm going, wait a minute. What, what, what? What did Paul mean by that? So I, I get a, back then we use concordances, I look up the definition of saint. And it says a saint is somebody who's dedicated by God. It's someone who's separated for a purpose. And, and I realized, wait a minute, because in my books, the books I read, in order to be a saint in the Catholic Church, first of all, you had to be dead. <laughs> and then, and then you, you had to be canonized by the Pope. And then, uh, and then had to be like miracles done in your name. Those were the people who were the saints. And I'm reading here, Paul's going to the saints in Rome, the saints in Corinth, saints. I'm going, those people are alive. Those people are alive. And then I got what I like to call my first spiritual epiphany. Is that a cool word? Epiphany. Revelation. I was a saint. I was a saint. That's what he, Paul was, he's writing to the Christians in Rome, to the Christians in Ephesus, to the Christians in Corinth. He's calling them saints. When you are set apart by God, when your sins are separated from you, when you're devoted to God, you become a saint. You are a saint. I know maybe Roxana might question that sometimes. <laughs> or my kids. No, no, it doesn't mean you're perfect. See, that, that's, this, the, that's the misunderstanding. I thought a saint has to be like special. No, a saint is set apart by God. Their sins are forgiven. They're devoted to God. I, I became a saint 50 years ago today. 50 years ago. I just, every now and then I like to look in the mirror. Good morning, Saint Dave. <laughs> How about, try it out. Try your name. Try it. Good morning, Saint Elizabeth. Good morning, St. Chip. You best hope no one's listening to you, but it's biblical. That is biblical. When you get, when you get God's Holy Spirit inside of you, man, he, he sets you apart. You are saved, man. You are saved. Saint. So anyway, I'm going to wrap it up here is what I'm going to say. First of all, I want to say thank you to those people in San Francisco who, who were available to me and preached the gospel to me. And, and actually, I'm still in touch with one of them, a guy named Paul. And uh, we, we were on Facebook, and we were just talking about it. He goes, yeah, I remember a day when you showed up at the house, you long-haired hippie freak. You know, he goes, I remember when you got, he, he actually was in the room, prayed with me that night. And I said, yeah, Paul. I said, man, I, I owe you, bro. I owe you. You were there, and you told me about Jesus. And to them, I want to say thank you. And I just want to say, you, you can do that to other people. You know, when God gives you an opportunity and you get to share the gospel with somebody. You don't know. You know, you just don't know what's going on. 
And for me, I was hungry. Man, I was hungry. And then the second thing I want to say is, you know what? Jesus is still knocking at the door. He's still knocking. And, and I don't know, you know, your, all your spiritual conditions. Thing is, inviting Jesus into your life is not a one-time prayer. You, you know, 50 years ago, I prayed the prayer, but that just started a journey. And you walk with God in a real way and you let him lead you and guide you and you get the guidance from scripture. And so, so he's knocking at the door of your heart and, and if you've never opened it, man, I pray you feel that knock today, man. You just, you should feel that. He's calling. You know, his, he said, if you hear my voice and you open the door, his voice is not heard with your ear, okay? His voice can be heard by a deaf person because it's inside. He speaks inside. You hear it's, it's a spiritual experience. And if you're hearing his voice and he's calling you, man, there's, there's your chance. It's your chance to start a journey. That, you know, that decision will affect the rest of your life. Everything you do will, will hinge off of that. And so we're going we're gonna to take some time and uh, we're going to worship. And then after the worship, Chip and I are going to have some time of ministry and and, uh, you know, if you're feeling that tug at your heart, I'm going to give you an opportunity to make a decision today and start that journey. So why don't we stand up?